We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... Travis Etienne is the hottest running back in this class right now in terms of where his draft stock is going to be. I'm told that Buffalo at 30 is talking to teams ahead of the Jets at 23 and Jacksonville at 25, you know, teams and and going ahead of Pittsburgh as well, trying to get get in position to get ETN that they think that he's the best back and they they want to pair him up, obviously, with with Josh Allen and and create that backfield. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Todd McShay on Ryan Rosillo's podcast over at the Ringer Network talking about the Bills trading up for a running back in this economy. That's the worst decision you could do, trade up for a running back. Folks, all of this draft prep, all of this stuff, we have a packed show for you tonight, but... Can we all just agree, Chris, that it's time to take a deep breath and just talk about something other than players and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's time to decompress and talk about philosophy, for the Buffalo Bills at least. But before, and we have a couple guests that need no introduction, and Greg Thompson and Bruce Nolan to help us do that. But before we do, I've got a, I don't know, my son. So my birthday was on Friday. You gave me this bottle of whiskey that I'm currently sipping on. And I got a steak, a 26-ounce ribeye, bone-in, prime. Cooked it with a cooked with a Pittsburgh char, served with a little bit of demi-gloss. So obviously I have leftovers going into Sunday. I decided I'm gonna make steak and eggs. Well, 
My my son, we've made a thing now where me, Jack, Larissa, we all sit down around the table and we have Sunday breakfast together. I want this to be a tradition that our family starts to establish. Like Bob Kelly from You Know What, Dude? He's got Pancake Sunday with his kid. I didn't know that, but that's cool. Yeah. I like that. It's it's kind of along the same lines. I want to start establishing traditions for my kid early so that he gets to like, hey, once a week we're going to have breakfast together as a family because I work, his mom works. So here comes Sunday morning. I've got this prime ribeye that I'm slicing real thin and I'm throwing in a pan next to the eggs that are already fluffy and cooked and you know, they're scrambled because he's a baby. And I'm searing them up all nice and I'm, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm trying to salt them a little so they have a little extra flavor, but that it's not too spicy for a child. And he's falling asleep in his high chair. Because he chooses to get up at 5 o'clock every single morning. Doesn't matter what day of the week it is. He's up at 5. Have you tried Advil PM? <laughs> no, because I'm, a, because I'm a responsible adult. So we go through this. And as I'm chefing this up and I'm putting it out on plates and we're sitting there and we're eating, he's falling asleep in his high chair. He, he's refusing the eggs. He won't touch them. And finally, I cut a little slice of ribeye. I kind of put it in his mouth. And the kid's eyes opened up, and he started kicking his feet. I I swear to God, as I'm handing him pieces, he's kicking his feet, excited. He's wired. The kid got a taste of prime beef, and he he couldn't get enough of it. It was awesome. It was one of those moments. I'm I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I understand, like... When you watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas and they say at the end of it, the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day, that's how I felt in that moment watching my son eat his first bites of steak. <sighs> now, something else you told me, you told me that he's just now starting to walk, so just wait until he gets the strength to open up the refrigerator and go for the ketchup for said <laughs> piece of meat. There will never be ketchup on steak in my house, Chris. That's heresy. So, folks, we're here. We're all together for the Summit of the Smart People 2021 Draft Edition. The NFL Draft, it's here. We've spent the whole month of April looking at each individual position group in this class with the help of some of the best analysts podcasting has to offer. And I'd like to think that we've learned a lot in the process. I mean, check our link tree, the web address present on our Twitter handle over at Rockpile Report, where you're going to find individual links to every single position group podcast that we did. After weeks of breaking down the class and looking at each position through a Bill's lens, you'd like to think we have all of our bases covered, all of our questions answered, and we're confident of what's going to take place. But the reality is this draft is unlike anything I've ever experienced. It's the first time we're drafting in the f- this late in the first round. First of all, take that back. It's the first time we're drafting late in the first round with a competent GM. We're drafting with the 30th pick and just the various philosophical approach that the team could choose to employ. First of all, I mean, look at last year. Buffalo chose to trade for... We made the playoffs for the, for the second time. In franchise, uh, not franchise history, but over the last decade, since the turn of the millennia. 
and we chose to trade that pick away for Stephon Diggs rather than drafting a first-round wide receiver. I mean, people called that not smart, but recent example, the Chiefs hemorrhaged talent on the offensive line this offseason for cap purposes. Rather than wait for the draft to see what prospects might fall to them, they made the decision that this class and the tackles that would be available at 31 were so bad that they traded out of the first round completely while obtaining a prospect from Baltimore with NFL starting experience. Now, while I could do a whole podcast on why that's a dicey move, considering that uh, Orlando Brown is, I don't know, it's like taking a guy who's limited athletically and has size as one of his only saving graces, whose only starting experience came in an unorthodox quarterback option and quarterback movement-centric offense, and expecting him to all of a sudden be a great left tackle in a Chiefs offense that needs a pocket. Doesn't he have to get paid after the season? Yes. That's why Baltimore got rid of him. It underscores that GMs will do what they have to to address needs with varying levels of aggression. And then you think about it, our cardinal needs are so few because of the wave of veteran free agent acquisitions, smart drafting, and player retention that Brandon Bean has put on over the last three years. This offseason alone, he put on a clinic. We celebrated the man. Yeah. I mean, there's only a few positions a rookie would have an opportunity to even see the field right now. So knowing what we know about the makeup of the 2021 draft prospects from an analytical sense, there's still plenty of philosophical questions to be asked and scenarios to prepare ourselves for as Bills fans. Now, if you're looking for front seven X's and O's, beer reviews, or (laughs) barbecuing and grilling advice, I'm your man. Draft philosophy? Chris? No. Hard pass. Luckily for our listeners and us, like when Ron Burgundy blew the Concorn and summons his news team, I've got a group of smart people that I can rely on for help. And in that way, we looked at tonight's guests for assistance, talking through the last of the storylines for the Buffalo Bills. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pre-draft. And so with all fa- as with all fancy conversations, I have a fancy beverage in front of me. I'm going to pour a little whiskey on top of this impressive cube of ice that Chris has crafted as we welcome in tonight's guests... 
The smart people, cover one's Greg Thompson and Buffalo Rumblings Bruce Nolan. How are we doing tonight, gentlemen? Doing very well. It's a party all the time. <laughs> it's a party all the time. You say it with so much enthusiasm, Bruce. <laughs> I, I can tell Bruce is a big fan of Eddie Murphy's entire catalog of that, that's what it uh, is. songs. And, you know, my, my girl wants to party all the time, so I'm forced to party all the time. That's the way it is. You know me. Huge party. I just love all the attention and the you know robust social interactions. Huge fan. Massive fan. Very excited. Can the draft please be here already? This is why I love the two of you. I mean, you both have personalities. You can take a joke. It's a good time. And I'm going to need some of that because we're sitting here talking about draft philosophy on the week of – I mean, I think everyone's pretty burned out at this point. <laughs> We've talked about every scenario. We've talked about – we here on this podcast have broken down every single position group with different analysts. And it's just reached a point where now it's almost all over but the crying. Hmm. But there's still some things out there that I think you could almost break down. And it's questions that are in the minds of Bills fans. So one of the first ones that strikes me, I mean, this is why we come to you guys for some clarity on this, because let's face it, Greg, you, you are more a more stately individual than I'll ever claim to be. Bruce may be one of the most knowledgeable individuals when it comes to football and just football nuance that I've ever spoken to. I mean, this is like this is like you climb the mountain to talk to the. Well, what do they call those people? What do, what do they call the guy at the top of the mountain? You usually need a sherpa to get there. I'll level with you. I've never been to the top of a mountain with a sherpa, so my lack of context in this area is is pretty significant. Some sort of shaman. Shaman, yeah. Often, I think in movies, it, sometimes it would be the Dalai Lama, but uh, it's a. Uh... <laughs> D- depends on uh, depends on which movie we're talking about, but uh, now I'm just we'll picturing do- you both running orange robes. Yeah, we, we'll do our best to pretend. <laughs> so, first for starters, when you think about this philosophically, in the run up to free agency, we talked with Matt Perino and Ryan Taylor from New York Upstate uh, about the concept that real, tangible improvement of this Bills football team from what we saw last year. It'd be more likely to come from the development and maturity of the players already on our roster by rather than expensive free agent signings. And I know people were pounding the table for you know, guys like Jadavian Clowney once some of the other options dried up. And you heard people talking about J.J. Watt at $16 million. But in reality, it's more probably A.J. Epinesa just developing more upside as a pass rusher makes more sense than either one of those things when you really look at the way the salary cap was laid out. Cody Ford, continuing to develop as a guard after spending his first season playing right tackle, was probably better than the idea of Kevin Zeitler makes sense. But when you look at the salary cap implications, it probably wasn't the most realistic thing. Tremaine Edmonds, him becoming a better and more complete middle linebacker and the offensive guys, the young guys like Moss, Singletary, Davis and Knox, those guys becoming more consistent in their games. And when you look at it, the Bills free agency period kind of reflected this idea that the team is looking to them to mature and kind of produce any significant jump up. That's why they kind of used they used their free agency capital to build experienced veteran depth rather than go after one or two pricey starters out there. So the same line of thinking can also apply to the draft. In fact, I think you could argue that since banking on rookies translating to the NFL is a complete dice roll. I mean, just look at Arizona. They took linebacker just uh, Isaiah Simmons at number eight last season. 
He didn't play more than 29% of any the snaps in any game until, I think, week 10. But you took that guy to play linebacker at number eight. That's yikes. So I think that if you're talking about rookies making an immediate impact, it's actually more applicable to this than it was in free agency. So with that dynamic in mind, what are some areas of the team's performance based on what we saw in 2020 that you think the team can improve with their selections in this draft class? Now, Greg, we'll start with you. So it's funny. I'm going to completely contradict what I want to happen later in the show um, by saying that uh, honestly, one of the most tangible ways, the areas they could improve is probably the run game and the effectiveness uh, of the run. And I know uh, people like Bruce and yourselves have spent a great deal of time explaining that, you know, having a better run game doesn't mean to run more. It doesn't mean we need to change the, you know, the, the run pass ratios on the team is to be more effective when you do choose to run. And although it's certainly been a hot topic lately, I don't think you have to do that with a first round pick running back. But if you were to do so and to add a dynamic athlete like that and something we don't have right now, it would be naive to say that wouldn't improve the run game. I'd prefer to see it because an Elijah Vera Tucker or someone like that fell to them or Tevin Jenkins fell to them at 30 and they add just a mauling monster at, you know, to be able to run and open up holes for Singletary and Moss. Uh, but the first one that came to mind for me was uh, an area they could tangibly improve the on-field performance would be the run game uh, because I think they could add in a piece that would play right now and make an impact right now. I mean, I was going to say that, but he went first, so now I can't. <laughs> so instead, what I'm going to say is I think that the, another area where you specifically see rookies come in and make an impact is in the defensive secondary. Um, Marshawn Lattimore, of course, famously was defensive rookie of the year in the year that Trey White probably should have gotten it, depending on who you asked. I think that you've seen corners and linebackers specifically win defensive rookie of the year enough that the back seven – really has a, a pretty significant impact on immediate coverage because a lot of the times when you come into the NFL, specifically if you pick a man coverage corner, man coverage principles aren't markedly different between college and pro. Now, the quality of the receiver you're going against is markedly different, but principle-wise, there's not a whole lot for them to learn. We talk a lot about how significantly the transition is – uh, hindered for players like tight ends coming into the league because you're having to learn to play offensive line and wide receiver simultaneously in a pro system. And for a lot of colleges, tight ends are essentially just really tall wide receivers. And so they didn't have to learn any of that stuff. Well, the inverse of that is true for people in the defensive secondary. So I do think that if Greg mentioned someone like Elijah Vera Tucker or Tevin Jenkins falling to 30, if by some chance Greg Newsom falls to 30, right? Or Asante Samuel Jr. is the pick at 30. I think they have an ability to make an impact as well. See, I I fall into the category of Greg where he says, hey, I'm going to say something that's going to contradict something I'm going to say later. <laughs> I, when we stagger our shows and we formulate what draft preview shows we're going to do when, we tend to skew the position groups that we think are most likely closest to the draft. Our final show was defensive end, and I think that that is one of the driest areas of this Bills roster. And I think that the pass rush can and should be augmented in this draft, except I see it being done via having a quality CB2. <laughs> and I say that because 
I've broken down the numbers, and it helps you in more than one way. I mean, if you think about a player who could step in, to your point, a Marshawn Lattimore, a Trey White, even in his rookie season, he was a – I think we took him at 27. He was a transcendent talent right out of the box. It helps your defense immensely more than any rookie at almost any other defensive position. For the Bills, in terms of pass protection, in 2020, Trey White the f- saw the fewest targets of his entire career was 65. Even though the team finished 16th in overall pass attempts against. So teams weren't throwing less at us than anybody else. But Trey White was, I mean, that just speaks to his talent level and offensive coordinators and quarterbacks kind of recognizing like, hey, that's Trey White. Don't go there. So with that in mind, those targets have to go somewhere. Levi Wallace started four fewer games in 2020 than 2019, but only saw his target total decrease by 34. So 71 targets came his way compared to his 105 the previous year. Josh Norman, filling in for him, absorbed 32 of those 34 targets. Combine that with the 21 Dane Jackson saw while filling in for both of them. Boundary cornerbacks, not named Trey White, saw 124 total targets last year. That's double what Trey White's going to get. I think that underscores a real need for you to try to improve that position just on volume alone. And then if you can hit on that, what it does for you is a number of things. First, it it funnels their pass attempts back into an area where I think you're strong. Milano, premier coverage linebacker in the NFL. Edmonds, he's got size and range. He can be disruptive in the seam. And we've seen him flash a little bit of, I mean, he had an interception in the Browns game, I want to say, last, uh, back in 2019. He's, I don't, I don't know what he is in terms of ball skills. But Poyer and Hyde finished 2017 with five interceptions apiece because people thought they could pick on our linebackers. As soon as... They found that out. Teams stopped throwing at our safeties and said, hey, we're not going to try them down the field. We're going to just try to pass in front of them and make everybody tackle, hoping to generate some yak. So you've taken them out of the equation because you can funnel passes towards the slot corner, the boundary corner. Last year, Teron Johnson saw double his previous career high in targets with 80, and he responded with one of the best seasons of his career. I think that just by volume alone and you look at the numbers, you upgrade that CB2, you're not only helping out the rest of the secondary because now you've plugged a leak in your secondary, but at the same time, quarterbacks have to hold on to the ball longer. Now they have to pick, okay, this is a bad matchup. That's a bad matchup. This guy isn't open. That extra second and a half takes your pass rush and can probably it – help. it's the difference between Jerry Hughes getting home and not getting home. Don't tease Bruce with uh, coverage over pass rush. You literally just said all the things. I'm just going to go ahead and retire now. He said all the things. The key to getting your pass rush home is causing the quarterback to hold the ball longer. How do you cause the quarterback to hold the ball longer? Better coverage. I mean, mean, literally 23% of all of our targets went to the boundary. You have to fix that. You have to make sure that it's not an easy decision for quarterbacks to just turn and throw at CB2. So I think that in that way, you could fix not only your secondary, but also your pass rush just by adding one talent. I think that that's probably – would you both agree that I'm at least onto something here? Oh, it's, it's certainly right up there for me. You're not going to get any Chris, arguments from me. <laughs> these are no. the conversations that's, that, that make me feel – fool. Like Bruce it, has been all it over – builds a hubris. Bruce, is, Bruce has, has been all over CB2, I, no. think, I think, since he started podcasting. <laughs> He talked about replacing CB2. You had Gaines, 
Kevin Johnson, Josh Norman, yeah, just stopgaps. So, someday, never, someday. The, exactly. The team has never made a significant addition there until Josh Norman at seven point what five million dollars, and that didn't bear fruit. It, it's time. It's time for him to take a swing. Now, this is where I get nervous about that because Brandon Bean made this almost kind of ominous comment about the pick at number 30, saying that, well, we're, we're going to make that pick thinking about the future. <laughs> what do you think that means for Buffalo come this weekend? I think that Bruce was I think that when you look at a pick that could potentially be through the future, I think you have to look at two different things. I have, think you have to look at age, and I think you have to look at 2022 roster status. And so when you're breaking these two things down, you're thinking, okay, what does he mean by future? Well, let's look at the edge rusher position real fast. Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, both north of 30, both of them not scheduled to be on the team in 2022. So that would qualify as a position that if you drafted one at 30, you would say that's a pick for the future. Currently, the Bills edge rushers who are scheduled to be on the team in 2022 are Bam Johnson and A.J. Epinesa. End of list. Now, moving on, when you look at the cornerback position, Levi Wallace, one year deal. When you have Dane Jackson, who's a seventh round pick, and he is currently the only person who is scheduled to be on the team, aside from Tredavious White, you're in exactly the same position. So in one position, you have age and contract status. In the other position, you just have contract status because it's not like Dane Jackson, and Levi Wallace are old players. But when I look at things that are for the future, that's what I look at. You go immediately looking for age and contract status. You get both of those things with an edge rusher. You get one of those things with a corner. And I think those are spot on. This is exactly the the top two spots I would go to. Um, I, I think that you could add, you know, some of the argument at interior line where you talk about there are outs in the Feliciana contract. There are outs in the Mitch Morris contract. Ike Bakker is on a one-year deal. Cody Ford is not someone that as of right now we know we can depend on. And then thinking about the future, um, although I, I don't know for sure it's in play at pick 30, I do think an element we could see during the draft is you know, people have brought up how many fewer actual draft eligible players there are in this draft. It's actually a, an odd amount lower than normal years. Um, there's other pieces that go into that. I, I actually think it comes into play at some point. You could trade a pick for a future pick if we trade down and the ammo might be trading down. But instead of getting more ammo this year, we get a future pick. Um, and that that's another way of thinking about the future per se. Um mm-hmm. But I know some pieces there, you know, come along. And, and then, um, Bruce, I know in our discussions previously, you had brought up the wide receiver position as well as one that I think is something with the age for Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley that come into play as well. So any of those I think could be able to to, to be in play. But that that I am a big fan of trading down because I want <clears throat> multiple shots on day two. But another piece of that could be that – you get future picks because maybe we don't have that many roster spots to be earned this year. Yeah. The Everett well, Brown pick from the Panthers a while ago, yeah, that, yeah. that that kind of these my vibe a little bit. The Panthers actually traded into the second round out of nowhere. Literally, they didn't trade up from anywhere. They traded up from the next year. They traded a future first for a present second. That's something you don't see very often, but they literally didn't trade up from any spot at all. It was, I'll give you a future first for your current second right now. 
and that was Everett Brown. So that's an example of somebody who could be potentially a scenario. It doesn't come up very often, but if remember, I just said it was a Panthers pick, remember? So mm-hmm. <laughs> Brandon Bean seen the inverse of that <laughs> process. So I'm not saying it's necessarily going to get on the highway and head up the, the well-traveled road from Carolina to Buffalo, but that's another example of potentially that pick being something for the future where you trade down and you pick up maybe a third and a first next year in exchange for a first this year. All sorts of weird things can happen because teams do crazy stuff. We just saw New Orleans a couple of years ago trade up for Marcus Davenport. We're all like, well, I'm sorry, what now? Like, <laughs> yeah, people do weird stuff. Even look at a, a desperate front office like Chicago, guys who d- they don't know whether they're going to be there to make that pick next year. Mm. All of a sudden, they want the Bills pick at 61, and they offer something crazy like next year's first to be able to get that second rounder. You know, I, I don't anticipate that being the thing, but with a desperate front office, you never know. Well, and that kind of leads right into my see, this is why I love you guys, you're professionals. <laughs> that leads right into my next question. We were. T- it was going to be about aggressive versus a passive draft approach and what you thought best suited the Bills. Now, Greg, you're on team trade down. You're on team trade back, get more assets. One of the things that scares me about that prospect is that this draft seems to be very top-heavy in, in some of the places where the Bills might be interested. The wide receiver group is probably going to field – last year set a record for 13 guys drafted in the top 60. This year could beat that. And so there's some real strength. I mean, that's the strength of this draft class, I think, is the wide receiver group is so deep. If you were to trade back, you'd be robbing yourselves of probably getting some of the last of the upper echelon talents that group. You'd also be whiffing on what you'd be missing out on whatever was left of the top tier cornerbacks unless they really didn't go. I mean, J.C. Horn probably wouldn't be there when we drafted. Newsom might. I mean, the cornerback group is kind of a top-heavy group to begin with. Defensive ends, nobody knows what's happening with them. I mean, that's a complete crapshoot because for the first time ever, there isn't this one, you know, alpha, Chase Young, Miles Garrett. There isn't that guy in this class. It's just a bunch of athletic profiles who you hope pan out. So you think trading back would be the best. Can you expand on that even just a little bit just to say, like, you're not worried that we wouldn't miss out on premier, premier players? So it's funny. What you explained is why I wouldn't preemptively trade back. I wouldn't trade back now. And they, like say, so the one of the deals that I really like is the Chargers or the Cowboys. They both pick at 44 and 75, 47 and 77. And on the trade value chart, that's about equal to our pick. And that, hey, if you trade back to about the middle of the second round, you get an extra third rounder. All of a sudden we have four top 100 picks instead of just three in the top 100. I wouldn't do that trade today. Like if that was offered right now, I wouldn't accept it because what if Greg Newsom is on the board at pick 30? What if Aziz Ojolari falls to pick 30? What if Elijah Vera Tucker falls to pick 30? If we have those, I want to be able to pounce on that. I will say for someone like Bruce, or I, I know that you loathe mock drafts and the simulators that <laughs> produce them, um, but for the people who do them often, you will realize that very, very often – all the picks leading up to right before the Bills is Jeremiah Usukoromoa and Greg Newsom and Elijah Vera Tucker and all the picks that you want. And then it goes off at 29 and it's, um, uh, I guess we'll take Asante Samuel Jr. earlier than I'd like, or I guess we'll take Diami Brown at pick 30 or 
that's when I want to trade down because you're right. It is top heavy and there's a very real chance that the tipping point of top heavy is at pick 29 and that I don't want to then pick the best of what's left and then have to be like, well, we got to get a first rounder because the guy we're taking now is a first rounder. If we don't see this crazy run on quarterbacks and what the Bills need is a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of linebackers, um, in my opinion, a lot of wide receivers. I'm OK missing out on the wide receivers. Um, I want that to load those top 29 picks and give us a shot at cornerback, defensive end, interior offensive line. Let us hammer one of those. But if it doesn't fall right, I don't want to take Alex Leatherwood at pick 30 when I know we could probably get him at pick 42. I don't... I'm an Alabama fan. I don't want... If I see Alex Leatherwood at pick 30, I'm gonna throw It is a fantastic football name if we're being honest. Um, Chris, that's gonna be one of those picks where (laughs) we're watching the draft and I come at you like Clyde the orangutan from any which way but loose. Yeah. Just prepare yourself for it. So if you don't... If you don't think that I'm not recording you every single pick <laughs> until 30 for for gifts, you're out of your mind. But that, that's where my head's at is that I, I don't want to pre – I'm not team trade down no matter what. If matter of fact, I've done it a couple of times. My ranking of positions, which I think we'll get to here. I don't want to preempt myself. Um, you know, it, Defensive end, corner, interior offensive line, trade down than the other positions. So it's if one of those top guys aren't there – I would rather trade down the take a receiver. I would rather trade down the take a running back. I would rather trade down than take a defensive tackle, even though I could live with those positions. If if we get Christian Barmore at 30, he's a good football player. I'll just be annoyed that like, well, all right, I guess that's what we're using our first round pick on. You know, Bruce, where do you fall on this subject? Because again, you're this mercurial pragmatic. Like, I don't I feel like you're a schemer. I feel like you, you're a very deep thinker when it comes to football. These are the types of things I, 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 I hope you have a different opinion from Greg because I've heard this and it's just not like I'm wrestling with it as a fan. I'd love to be able to tell you I have a different opinion than Greg and Greg and I are, are more than happy to duke out on opinions when they're different. This is not one of those times. Ah. Instead, instead, I'm going to add on another reason in addition to Greg's uh, discussion about top heavy and not being being someone he wants to preemptively do as far as trading down goes. I'm also going to talk. So from a philosophical standpoint, the bills are in a specific lifestyle now with a quarterback who's good, right? They're in a, they're in a lifestyle now, right? And the lifestyle of a team when you have a good quarterback is different because you're not chasing the quarterback. And because of that now it changes your life cycle, life cycle of a team now changes. So for Josh Allen to get 40 plus million dollars a year, which he's going to get at some point when that happens, it becomes more important than it's ever been for you to offset you paying a quarterback market value with a bunch of people. You're not paying market value. That's how you do it. How do you offset the value that you are losing by paying a good quarterback, a good money? Because the best value in sports is a good quarterback you're not paying good money to. So when you go from paying a good quarterback, not good money, to a good quarterback, good money, that gap has to be offset somewhere else on your roster. The way you offset it is by having good players at other positions that you're not paying good money to. And that happens through draft picks. I mentioned this on social media not too long ago, but if you draft a player at pick 30th, and they're a corner, they're roughly the 60th paid corner in the NFL right off the bat. 60th. 
You spent a first-round pick on them, and they're the 60th-paid cornerback in the NFL. Tredavious White, at one point for a few days, was the highest-paid cornerback in the NFL. That gap between the market value you're paying them and the production value you are being returned from that position needs to be as positive as often as possible. Well, Bruce, you could just pick well. Okay. Well, that also comes with it a second piece of this. The understanding that you're not going to hit on every pick. It's not going to happen. Brandon Bean is a good drafter and he still will bat less than 500. That's just the way this works. It is physically well, the dra- impossible. The draft remains undefeated. I mean, that goes without <laughs> Absolutely. Stuff. And if you get two good players out of a draft, that's good. If you get three, that's really good. That's just the way this works. Do you know what will maximize your chance of hitting and therefore maximize your ability to be able to offset Josh Allen's contract with good players who are not being paid market value for their skills? Trading down. So in addition to the concept that Greg just talked about, the life cycle changes. I really like trading up for a quarterback. That's about it when it comes to the first round, because the entire time you're searching for a player that makes it not necessary for you to trade up anymore. See, now this is where I'm going to try to bring you guys to the dark side. And I just want to see if it can be done. Just, just, to, just to see. I believe in an aggressive approach. And here's why. I've got three points. First one, Bill's current roster construction. They've done so much work building depth and fleshing out the weak areas of this roster. Offensive line linebacker. I mean, I mean, I know I've, I hear all the jokes now, Bobby Hart as offensive line. I know Bill's mafia had a field day with that on social media. When Bobby Hart got signed, uh, I think it was Jamil Douglas, not a, he's not going to, he's not going to blow anyone's minds, but he's in, he's a capable starter with experience. Forrest lamp, Forrest lamp, a capable starter with experience. I love lamp. interior offensive line. Of course you love lamp. They've done it at linebacker. Tyrell Adams might have been one of the sneakiest signings that we got this offseason because he's a guy who started 16 games and performed very well as a weak side linebacker. He's fluid in space. He had over 100 tackles. He had some tackles for loss. He did a lot of the things that you saw Milano doing for us. He's the first actual backup to Milano we've had that I've had any faith in. When you think about the late round picks the Bills have at their disposal, there's an argument that I, I would make that Whoever they pick at those spots would have a really tough time cracking the final 53, maybe even have a tough time making the practice squad because that's how deep our roster currently is. So through that lens, you could probably justify using some of that late capital to augment your early picks if an opportunity arises to move up and get a player more highly graded in a position of need. Like you said, cornerback, interior offensive line, defensive end. Bean has shown a proclivity to being aggressive, even if it's just by a handful of spots. I mean, the Cody Ford trade, you know, we all watched that during the Bills Embedded. He had a guy, he liked him, he couldn't get a trade worked out. And then when the when the trade up by Carolina to get Greg Little happened, he was like, get Oakland on the phone now and make this happen. He's a gunslinger. So with that in mind... Our roster construction and all these late picks, I don't, I just think those together, combined with our current cap situation, you don't have a ton of cap space left, but you can certainly afford to, you can't afford to draft all these players. I mean, you can, but there's still a lot of veteran talent out there on the market. You know, Sheldon Richardson's one interesting one, Greg, that you've talked about. 
Guys like Richard Sherman, Malik Hooker, Jarrell Casey. I mean, I'm just going down the list. Uh, Kenny Vaccaro, Kenny Stills, a guy who spent time with the team last year at the end of the year. Depending on how they feel about the depth of this class, considering all the question marks about the process in terms of scouting itself, Brandon Bean was really candid, really candid, while talking on CBS Sports' uh, Adam Shine's podcast recently about how there exists a world about how if there are question marks about a player, you can't draft them because the injury information that used to be available isn't there. This is the most incomplete scouting period ever. I think in draft history, all of those things combined, if you've got a player that you feel good about and you think he can make an impact, you almost have to try to shoot your shot, I think. Now, Bruce, you have something you want to say. Hit me with it. Okay. So one of the things that I hear a lot from Bills fans, and I just heard it again from you, is this roster is so good that we can afford a luxury pick and everything. So. Let's let's talk about this. So the first thing that I want to point out is that injuries happen. They're a reasonable thing. Injuries happen a lot more when you have older players. Say, for example, a 33-year-old Cole Beasley coming off a broken leg and a 34-year-old Emmanuel Sanders on a one-year deal. So you are one injury away from hoping Gabriel Davis is ready to play outside receiver two in a wide receiver-focused offense. You are one injury to Dawson Knox away from Jacob Hollister. You are one injury from Tremaine Edmonds away from the second coming of AJ Klein. You are one injury to Levi Wallace away from hoping that Dane Jackson is ready as a seventh round pick last year. I don't want to put all my eggs in that basket. You are one injury to either Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde away from seeing Jaquan Johnson on the field because Dean Marlowe is no longer right there. You are one injury away from a lot of players for it to be in trouble. I think that seven rookies can make this team because I think we overestimate how good this team is until you have a couple injuries on a depth standpoint. I think that rookies can make this team at edge, defensive tackle, linebacker, cornerback, safety, interior offensive line, potentially running back, maybe even tackle. Those are all positions where I think that rookies can make this team. I think that what we do is we always think we're really deep and then the attrition starts coming and people start getting hurt. And all of a sudden you're seeing AJ Klein and you're wanting to cut AJ Klein five weeks into the season after you just signed him and talking about how we don't have any depth. And all of a sudden you're playing. Go ahead. During one of our podcasts, the phrase I used was I would rather see Chris with his at the time thrown out spine. Like he threw out his back. And I said, I would rather watch you with a butterfly net go go out there in coverage in a nickel defense than AJ Klein. You are one injury away from seeing it again. And <laughs> mind you, you're probably going to see it already in base defense with three linebackers on the field. You tell me that that spot can't be adequately filled by somebody else. We talked about all these things that the Bills can do, the defense regression. We just talked about, Greg and I talked about coverage and pass rush and running game. And these are not one position. These are units. These are functional pieces of your team. If you don't think that six or seven people can come in and be contributors for this team, then I I think we have a tendency to overvalue some of that depth. Well, here, I'll poke holes in the other end of it. Um, so the, the other challenge is I think a lot of people 
overestimate how easy it is to move up. So if you take every single pick that the Bills have after day two, like oh, the two fifth rounder, sixth rounder, seventh rounder, and all of those added together, we could maybe go from pick 30 to pick 28. We can maybe go from pick 61 to maybe pick 56. Um, so unless you're giving up substantial amounts of, you know, all of the future picks, other ones, including, you know, the second and third rounder to move up, you know, people talk about, oh, if this guy falls, we should go up and get them. You're talking about to move up from pick 30. You're talking about future first round picks to be able to do that. So I don't think that's crazy. There are players. I would be willing to do that. Um, you know, Kyle Pitts being one of the Kyle Pitts falls to pick 14 and, and we want to jump up there and get him and give up future first round picks. I'll listen to that. Um, but overall, I think it's harder to move up than what people realize. And for the reasons Bruce referenced, we need those layered in first round picks. Not only do we have the pressure of it's hard to draft anyways, it's critical that Brandon Bean hits on those picks because we financially can't afford for him to not hit on those picks because we need those cheap contracts to be contributing, let alone not giving them away because we think we targeted a guy and want to move up. And obviously we all know the Sammy Watkins deal of it, and that's an easy one to pick on. But in a draft that I'll ask Bruce, I had Sammy Watkins as the top wide receiver in that class. There was nothing wrong with wanting to go up and get him. It was the depth of the class and that you didn't need to give up a future first. You could have simply sat there and taken Mike Evans, sat there and taken Odell Beckham Jr., sat there and taken Michael Thomas, whoever it might have been. And, you know, that's where the hubris comes in that in general, it very rarely works out to trade up for non-quarterbacks. You're better off sitting and taking the one that's best available. Yeah, I had Sammy Watkins the exact same way. Uh, I didn't have a problem with taking Sammy Watkins. I had a problem with the the value. It's the same argument that I'm going to have if the Bills were to trade up for Travis Etienne. I like Travis Etienne. He's a perfectly reasonable running back. I think he provides you a dynamic you don't have. But I just went off on a tangent about how important value is when you are having tight margins. And if you have tight margins like the Bills are about to have, which is an expensive quarterback, then getting proper value matters and investing a first and a third and a future sixth to go from 30 to 22 to get Travis Etienne, for example, it, it, it's not appropriate value. So you can have a good player and not love the value. Those are two separate things. Value is two parts, what you give and what you get. Quality of player is just half of that what you get. And it's the same thing with the Sammy Watkins thing. And it's the same with trade-ups in general. And it's also opportunity cost. You know, if I can trade up from 30th, what I'm doing is I'm giving up the price tag that we already established was really low. We established that using the 30th pick on a corner is the 60th paid corner in the NFL. We're giving up that and we're giving up potentially a third round pick, which is the you know 129th paid corner in the NFL. So you're giving up people who are immensely profitable value. And if you hit on it and you think Brandon Bean is a good drafter, that's one of the other parts of this. Yes. If you think Brandon Bean is a good drafter, don't you want him to have more picks? Why would you want him to have less left picks? All right. I will agree with you that you are both correct. Like more bites at the apple. Chris, even as a lay fan, I know you haven't spoken much here. No, I haven't. I'm not again. I'm very much against if we trade up for ETN. I might have to take a couple swings at that wicker in your driveway. <laughs> like that that's like I think I think we had Brett Coleman on I think it was last year who he, he said 
drafting a running back in the first round is just like the sprinkles on top of a Sunday. So it's like <laughs> if you're building your offense in the form of a ice cream Sunday, you don't put sprinkles at the bottom. There's still offensive line that we need to address before we take any type of skill players, I think. See, and this is why so Chris, it's funny because we're here talk we're talking about value. I know we've talked about the draft. We've talked about what you but I've never actually asked you, what do you want? Corner? Give me okay. a cornerback. I'm on Team Bruce here. Team Bruce. Give, give me a corner at thirty. You've always been be my happy. favorite, Chris. You guys are yeah. subverting my podcast. This is the, this is what happens when you invite smart people into your home. They <laughs> next thing you know, you look around. Oh, what is it from Tommy Boy? Ah, you wake up. There's ah, oh, there's a warranty on the box. But you wake up, your daughter's <laughs> what is it? Your, your your wallet's missing and your daughter's knocked off. I've seen it a thousand times. That's what happens when you let smart people come on your podcast and talk to you about all the ways that you should feel about the NFL draft. But in, sometimes you're right, and I can argue that <sighs> I think being aggressive is a good idea, but that might not be the smartest thing in the world. Now, if the Bills were to stand pat, pick 30, pick 61, pick 93, not even knowing how the board will fall because the way this pre-draft process went was bananas – Big boards are almost meaningless this offseason. Every team is going to have their own big board, and what they're going to find out over the course of the next six months is that they're volatile compared to each other. The most different they've ever been in NFL history. Yes. So, now, Greg, you already teased this earlier. When I talk about what position groups would you personally like to see the Bills spend their draft capital on and why, you mentioned a couple of them. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll reference this quickly and cede my time to the gentleman to my left. Um, the uh, My top three are, are very clear. It's cornerback, defensive end, and offensive line, interior offensive line specifically, or at least versatility. One of those guys who was a college tackle who would be an elite guard. Um, the, the, that term gets thrown around more than is realistic, but there are plenty this year. Um, so, you know, in that first group, I desperately would want one of, you know, uh, Quiddy Pay, Jalen Phillips, Aziz Ojolari, Patrick Sertain, uh, you know, having maybe a shot of Caleb Farley, depending on how his medicals check out, with J.C. Horn and Greg Newsom, or Elijah Barrett Tucker, Tevin Jenkins. You give me one of those guys, I'm happy, and then I play the opposite in picks 61 and pick 93 at whatever the best is left at the spot we didn't get. And the same thing at pick 93, obviously each of those open up further as you go back in the other positions could come into play. But my ideal day two ends with us having a cornerback, a defensive end and interior offensive lineman. I have the same that he does. Um, I I think I want to, I want to contribute this part. I think that if there is a reasonable edge rusher and a similarly graded corner, or a similarly graded interior offensive line at 30, I'm going edge. And this is coming from a guy who's, mind you, pounding the table for CB2. The reason that is, is because I like the class better at CB and interior offensive line than I like it at edge. I think the drop-off in edge is precipitous after the top, which means this this, this comes a value proposition. This is a lot what Greg was talking about with the 2014 draft and Sammy Watkins. Understand the depth of the class. I did a show a couple weeks ago on draft game theory. And one of the things that can impact your ability to make a pick that isn't about need and isn't about talent is the depth of the class at that position. And we know GMs care about this stuff. We've heard them talk about, well, the drop off after this one as an excuse for trading up. So I think that if there is a Jason Owe 
on the board and an Asante Samuel Jr. I like Asante Samuel Jr. I like Jason Owe perfectly fine. I'd probably take Owe because I don't think I can get a end with that kind of ability at 61 because I'm not of the opinion that Peyton Turner is going to be there at 61. Agreed. I think he's going to go high in the second round. And I don't think Joe Tryon's going to be there. I think that that's going to get really significantly compressed. I think the middle of the first to the middle of the second is going to see a big run on edge rushers. I don't think you can count on one at 61. If there was someone you like at 30, unless some non-edge falls, that is ridiculous. I mean, if Greg Newsom falls, you could probably talk me into Greg Newsom aside from Aziz Ojolari or aside from you know Jason Owe, things like that. But I think that you have to take specifically the depth of the class at each one of these positions into account when you're prioritizing these picks. I would like to see them the same general order as Greg with the edge rusher and the interior offensive lineman in a corner. I'd like to see those things. However, gun to my head, if they're graded similarly, I'm going edge. See, I have three wide receiver, defensive end and cornerback. But the wide receiver is the only one where I differ from you guys. I mean, our defensive end group, we talked about it last week with Brett Coleman. It's a nightmare mix of aging out of football and very green. Despite the fact that this year we're going to be the fourth most expensive defensive line in the whole NFL. I think that's a bad place to live. (laughs) It's not good. And it could use an infusion of high floor cost controlled talent. And we already talked about the nice things CB2 can do for you. Our wide receiver room, it's aging and expensive. There exists a possibility that in 2022, Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis are the only players currently on the roster manning those any of those positions. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, considering how deep the wide receiver class is this year, I think it would make sense the Bills would make some addition in the top 100 to that group. I really do. I have no problem with that. Absolutely no problem. If if Elijah Moore was the pick at 30, I'd be very happy with that. And what I would say was Cole Beasley is 32, going to be 33 when his contract is up and he's coming off a broken leg. And Gabriel Davis hasn't proven that he's a starting caliber wide receiver too. slot receiver is a big part of this particular offense. Wouldn't it be- That's what I was going to say. How often did Cole Beasley get looked at to make big plays in these games? Wouldn't it be nice to have Cole Beasley and Isaiah McKenzie in one player? That would be nice. Exactly. I, so it's a I wouldn't hate it by any means. It, the only reason I don't have it quite as high is because we haven't seen any drop-off yet from Cole Beasley. He did come to us with much less mileage than the same age receiver normally is. Last year, Emmanuel Sanders was still number one in the NFL in his uh, get-off, like the miles per hour he got up to quickest in the NFL, literally the fastest in the NFL at age 34. Um, And then I liked Isaiah Hodgins more than Gabe Davis coming out of the draft. So I'm actually – I see him as our wide receiver addition for 2021 because I liked him a lot coming out, had the best catch rate of any receiver in the uh, in college football the year before. So I see him as kind of the addition for this year coming coming into it. Again, I, I won't be upset because it's it's we're in a position where literally besides a quarterback, nope, no position is going to upset me. Like I'd like some more than others. There's better value than others. But other than that, you know, I'd be very happy. And wide receiver is next for me. I gave you my top three, then trade down. Wide receiver is number four for me after that group. So we so we've talked about a lot of things draft related. Before we get out of here, nightmare 
and dream scenarios. Now, if I want to start off with the negative, because we never want to end it a low note, <laughs> Bruce Nolan tweeted out, the idea of trading up in the first round to select a running back injures me on a molecular level. <laughs> That's a thing that you tweeted, Bruce. It hurts his soul. So is this something that we can firmly say is your nightmare scenario for the Bills this weekend, that they trade up to draft a running back? Yeah, I think that's probably nightmare scenario. Now, obviously, you know, we're, we're using this very hyperbolically, right? Nightmare scenario. Like, of I'm going to say what we do. On the Rock Pop Report. Right. I don't know if you know what our stick is. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with our work. Have you been uh, here before, Bruce? No, it, it's one of those scenarios for me where, you know, if you draft a running back at 30, I can at least get on board with the fact that it's not an expensive running back. But when you trade up, then you've lost the one thing that was the saving grace about taking a running back in the first round was that it was 30 and not three. Right? You traded up to 21st and now you have this draft capital expenditure as well. So, yeah, I think that's probably a nightmare scenario for me. When I say it injures me on a molecular level, what I mean is I can actually feel the cells in my body ripping apart one by one like I'm being transformed into the Hulk by gamma radiation. I can literally feel the Bruce Banner leaving my body as my eyes begin to turn green. And I start to think you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I don't know if you guys had the pleasure of catching me on social media today, but it was not a great banner day for Bruce. I, I, I usually do a good job of not engaging with the with the trolls that show up on social media. But today, today I was feeling particularly gloveless. So the gloves came off a little bit for, for Bruce today. And, you know, I, I'll have to do a couple Hail Marys and repent for those things that I have done. But it's one of those scenarios for me where I can't be talked into good value. I can't even to be talked into okay value. Now, I can be talked into good player. Now, the saving grace for that is I like all three of the top running backs. So there isn't a scenario where we could trade up for a running back and I could hate the value and hate the player. Like, that's not going to happen. And that would be like the ultimate, the ultimate bad would be trading up in the first round for a running back that I hate. Like, hey, that would let be. Me the try, let me try one, Bruce. What if they traded up to 21 for Greg Rousseau? Oh, dear sweet mother of Troy. Really? So is that worse? <laughs> yeah, I, oh, like, no. It, <laughs> that, that, might, that might be worse. You know how, you know how I feel about Gregory Russo. I was right? trying to pick a player that I knew you didn't like the player. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> wow. No, that's like, – oh, wow. Oof, oof. Uh, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling a certain way. Would it be you? Would you throw – even if it was a small hutch or maybe a no. small chair in your home, would you put A small you wicker end table. No, I, I, don't, I don't really react bombastically that way. It's just not who I am. Uh, right? I, I have my I'll thoughts you, and I – um, you know, a long time ago, I was a much more emotional um, fan when I watched and everything. And, and it, just, it just became a net negative for me a lot of times in the way I felt. And I just like, I don't want to feel this way anymore. So I just decided I wasn't going to. So years ago, I said, nah, I'm not going to feel that way anymore. So I'm just not going to. When we drafted EJ Manuel, I did not respond positively. I was uh, animatedly negative about drafting EJ Manuel. And then when we drafted Josh Allen and I was feeling disappointed, I, I didn't respond nearly the same way. I went, oh, well, you know, I wish I would have, wish we would have done something else, but Oh, well. Well, I'll tell you what I made up for you, Bruce, because I got <laughs> trashed at the Jamaican resort and ended up nude on a balcony yelling at my wife and everyone else who was at the resort. There was a guy. I'm on the 16th floor of this, the Moon Palace in Jamaica. You can Google it. 
I'm on the 16th floor and I'm out there. And my wife goes, you can't be naked on the balcony. And my response was, pants are irrelevant. Jack Dylan's my quarterback. And some guy, a room over, goes, hey. I don't even know what he was saying to me. And I threw a beer at him. And I was just like, you shut up over there. You, you mind your business. It got wild. You don't want to be the person that I am. And I like that about you. I do. I embrace it. Greg, your nightmare scenario for this draft. Um, I, I, honestly, the the trading up for a running back is not far off. And, and mine's slightly different. Mine is because the I, I am an unabashed champion of Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. I think they're the best thing that's happened to our franchise maybe ever, you know, in just the way that they're able to turn things around. They've made such consistently intelligent decisions in the way that they've shifted into utilizing good information to make good decisions. And so much of that leans into where Bruce came from. There's a lot of information that tells you that trading up isn't smart. There's a lot of information that tells you taking a running back in the first round isn't smart. Those compound exponentially when you say trading up for a running back in the first round. So it would hurt me in the sense that I don't want the guys that I think of as the smartest guys in the room to make a decision that doesn't seem smart to me. Um, if they do it, just like Bruce said, I'll lull myself to sleep by watching the highlight reel because Najee Harris and Travis Etienne have some incredibly impressive highlight reels. I'll, I'll lull myself to sleep doing that. Um, so my nightmare scenario would be, you know, trading up for a guy I think we could have gotten later and not having, I want four or five top 100 picks. Trading up means we likely only have one or two because if we trade up anywhere materially, it at least costs us a third rounder to do that. So all of a sudden now, I want four or five top hundred picks. We probably now have two and we have two to get a guy that I think we could have waited and got later. I hear you guys and you've convinced me on some points and I I appreciate these types of conversations. So I'm going to lay out for you my dream scenario for this draft. First of all, it's that we either stand pat because you've talked me off the ledge of trading up. You've successfully convinced me that this is no longer worthwhile. (sighs) My, my, so we stand pat, we take best player available. I'm again, CB2 has value. If a defensive end who's good falls to us, you're almost obligated to take them just based on the way the draft board looks, the way the class is designed. Chris, all the things that we've learned over the last few weeks. My dream scenario is that at some point in this draft, we take Texas A&M's Bobby Brown as a future replacement at one tech Defensive tackle, just so I can keep making jokes and giggling during the broadcast like I did during Coleman's appearance on our show last week. This Bobby Brown, his energy level is just erratic at times. Yeah, I bet it is. Let him go to the locker room. I bet Whitney can fix it. Man, he really sniffed out that run play. I bet he did. (laughs) That would make me the happiest man on earth. Guys, we got to let you go. What are your draft night and weekend plans, and what kind of content are you guys going to be churning out of your various outlets? Bruce, we'll start with you. I'm going to be live on the Buffalo Rumblings YouTube channel at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time up until the start of the draft at 8 o'clock, and I'm going to be going through my seven-round, 32-team, 259-pick mock draft that I've spent the last couple of weeks working on, and it drops Wednesday the 28th on Buffalo Rumblings. We're going to be going through that. 
uh, with Jay Spence, the King. We're going to be talking about your best and worst case scenarios for that night. And we're going to be kind of dabbling in pre-draft revelry. And it's going to be a good time. Then on Friday, I will have to stay up late on Thursday night because the draft pick that be made at 30, if indeed Brandon Bean makes the draft pick at 30, is typically between 11.35 and 11.50 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, in this case, Eastern Daylight Time. So I'll have to stay up late and then record Friday morning's podcast on that. And it's going to be a good time. And then I'll, you know, I'll be dabbling around, might make a, an appearance here or there on a podcast or a radio. You never know. You know, Bruce push pops up place. It's like playing whack-a-mole. You know, you pop up, you smack him in the head. You're like, on it, Bruce, stay down. And he just pops up again anymore. Like, can I please get rid of this guy? So I, I will add, I, I normally prefer Bruce's route. I like to have multiple screens going. I like to have multiple different uh, avenues of watching the game and interacting with people online and doing a live show. We've done a couple of really cool ones over the years with uh, the Cover One Slack channel. We'll be doing that again this year. I will not be hosting it this year because I will be live downtown at the uh, draft in Cleveland. Um, I actually have passes inside the covered nice area with the uh, the area there, and I'm going to be a, a credentialed correspondent for Covered One, Cover One, and WGR calling in live for the picks and going in and uh, having a good time. I'll be on with Nate uh, Geary that night as the uh, pit right before the pit goes live, giving some reaction on site and uh, calling in for the Cover One live hangout and having a good time. But um, the weather doesn't look perfect right now, so I'm potentially <laughs> regretting my decision. Uh, but I think as long as I'm in the nice covered area, I should be okay. Uh, it's just getting to it might be a bit of a challenge, but we'll see how that goes. The Smart People Summit with Greg Thompson on Twitter at Greg Thompson and Bruce Nolan. He's on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Guys, Greg's, you have to look forward to Greg's draft stuff. He's going to be live at the draft with credentials. Make sure you're following him. Bruce, he's going to be live on Locker Room right up until the start of the draft, and he's going to be pumping out a ton of post-draft. And let's face it, Chris, he says, like, hey, I'll have post-draft content. If you're following him on Twitter, you're going to get his unfiltered thoughts throughout the course of the night. What's great is that Bruce doing the locker room app because that's a perfect app for him. It's audio only and no video. <laughs> it's perfect for Bruce. This is our first year with no major live stream or TV show during the draft. It's kind of nice. It did. <laughs> it's kind of nice to not have to go to Batavia and make fun of Lacel and Icy. And everybody that shows up for that, you know, I'm coming over to your place. We're going to get to watch the first round. It's just nice not having to worry about that. And just the, for at least for me, on the production end of it. It is weird. It's just a different year. And I'm hoping that this gets over soon. I mean, I may or may not be a part of the hashtag sports on Friday night. You're going to have to, you're going to have to tune in. Find them at hashtag sports on Twitter. I may or may not be a part of their live broadcast on Friday night. We'll see how the night goes. It's going to be interesting to see if it's still fun being just a spectator rather than engaged the whole time as someone who's trying to put on a broadcast. And Chris, we've been on TV, or at least I have been. Yeah, usually when when we do those things, I'm helping on the other end for production in which... Speaking of production, I have a second podcast to my name producing 
Bills long snapper Reed Ferguson and his brother Blake's podcast after the snap. That's coming out on Thursday. The inaugural episode, folks. They got the. We did the. We recorded the episode already. I edited it down. <coughs> they have some great stories on that f- debut episode. Go. F- they're on. Uh, they got social media for the uh, podcast. I think it's uh, after the snap pod on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, so go give them a follow. So again, hype city from the hype city. Blake Ferguson, long snapper from Miami. Reed Ferguson, the elder statesman of the family. Captain of the Buffalo Bills. It's a solid podcast. Make sure you go give it a follow. Make sure you give it a... Check it out for Chris's sake. Just so he feels better about his editing skills. Yeah. I did the the introduction to their podcast. I put that together. And if there's any issues, make sure you tweet us at Rockpile Report and let Chris hear it. Yeah, because that's all all on me. How the podcast sounds is, is on me. So if you think it sounds like crap, let me know and then I'll tell you that you're wrong. We have more draft content on the way. First of all, we have our pre-draft AFC's roundup. That's going to, depending on when you're listening to the show, it could be tonight, could be tomorrow. The prodigal son returns, as we're going to be joined by free freelance writer turned podcaster turned Miami Dolphins team employee, Travis Wingfield. We're going to have a draft recap with WGR 550's Nate Geary, as we always do. It's it's become a tradition here, a yeah. staple of the Rockpile Report. Seagram's bets will be made. And we're also going to have Mocking the Mocks. Yeah, that's right. An exercise we're going to roll out that I'm sure the Bills analyst community is going to love us for. We're also going to have a relative athletic score review of our class with Kent Lee Platty and other content from our AFC's Roundup crew. I mean, guys, Chris, an NFL schedule release party? We have everything going on over here at the Rockpot Report for the next at least month. I don't think we've ever done a show based around the schedule getting released. But it's on the same day. How can you not? There we go. We're going to rip it, folks. Chris? Raise a glass. Oh, I got water. I got to go to work after this. So, <laughs> Boo. Cheers to a successful pre-draft process. But we're not slowing down anytime soon. And we look forward to churning out weeks of our special branded content for you guys. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Bruce Nolan and Greg Thompson. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. <laughs>